App 1800 is a 30-minute interview with a person of interest in the Boone community. Today, I have Dr. Jamie Anderson, an assistant professor at the Department of Finance, Banking, and Insurance at the College of Business. All right, this is App 1800. I'm Eris Slattenrock, assistant news director from WASU-FM. I'm here with Dr. Jamie Parson. If you'd like to introduce yourself, please. Hi, I'm Jamie Parson. I'm a faculty member in the finance, banking, and insurance department and really excited to be here and talk more about diversity and inclusion. Yeah, so my first question is, as someone who values inclusivity, how do you incorporate it into your profession? Yeah, I think it's a constant variable right now, especially in my different areas of service, teaching, and it's even found its way into some of my research. I try to become as informed as I can and really push myself into learning opportunities where I'm not as well-versed. If I had to give an example, you know, I don't have a ton of experience working with the LGBTQ plus community and a lot of the issues that they're facing. And so I had the opportunity to complete a paper looking at trans asterisk folks and auto insurance products. And not to say that one research paper, you know, puts me in a position where I've arrived. You know, people don't arrive at their identities or their experiences overnight, and we shouldn't expect one-off experiences to do that for us. But it was a good opportunity for me to start looking through a different lens than maybe I have in the past. Yeah, I love your explanation. Just there's no rush to arrive to one identity or the other. That's the whole point of being inclusive. So yeah, yeah. How does diversity and like inclusivity along with that align with your ideas and goals as a professor? Yeah, so we just completed this Columbia teaching workshop in the Center for Academic Excellence, and a lot of my colleagues said that they found inclusive teaching strategies to be really just examples of good teaching practices, and I really find that I agree with that. When I think about my goals as a professor, you know, I think of my goals as giving you as a student the tools that you need to succeed in whatever area I'm teaching you in, and to teach you the content of the course. So if I'm thinking through the course through an IE lens, then I'm able to do both of those things. If I could think of an example, I teach a course on employee benefits. And if I'm teaching a concept in employee benefits, and then I turn around and give an example, say of a person with a disability that serves twofold benefits in my class. One, it may give someone an opportunity to relate to that question. You know, they may have a relative with that same disability, or they may share in that. And so they might get in a little more passionate about the concept that we're talking about, but it also gives the entire class a scenario that they'll possibly see in the real world when they're dealing with people. So it's just good teaching. Yeah, real world examples in the classroom are everything because you just never know when you're going to run into it. And that's one thing when my professors ask me, like, how can we support you? Or just in general, I want to know a real life example because I'm like in Mm -hmm. education. So that's always useful. But I see you used to work in Nebraska for their Equal Opportunity Commission as a Title IX investigator. Could you just tell me more about that? Or yeah, for it's actually Title Seven. So Title Nine, you see more in schools. Um, so basically, the law says that you can hire or fire anyone for whatever reason you like, except where it's prohibited by federal or state law. And so then we have the Civil Rights Act. It's got this provision in it called Title Seven, which basically says that you can't discriminate against employees or potential employees on the basis of things like race, color, national origins, sex, religion. And then there's a couple other laws that kind of mirror Title Seven for like disability and age discrimination. So my work at the Nebraska Equal Opportunity Commission was a state agency to investigate claims of discrimination from employees or prospective employees and really to assess whether or not they engaged in discriminatory behavior. 
Yeah, I'm really bad with Roman numerals. Apologize. I That's just, okay. <laughs> I, whenever I see them, I'm just like, I don't know. So something. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so thank you for that. But why is diversity and inclusion important on a college campus? Yeah, I think diversity is important because it makes for a richer educational environment. You know, if you have classes that are filled with students from big cities, rural communities, various ethnicities, religious identities, and lived experiences, it really lends itself to more robust opportunities to create good conversation. And I think inclusion is important because if students don't feel comfortable sharing their experiences and we miss their perspective in the classroom and we end up with this incomplete educational experience, which then provides a disservice to our students as a whole. Yeah, diversity inclusion just allow more room for people to feel comfortable and just a way for us to connect on a deeper level and not just on a college campus, obviously everywhere, but yeah. Just with, on a college campus, it's just the age group we're at. It's a great time for us to learn more about one another as well. It's kind of the first time in your life where you're having the opportunity to explore learning for yourself. Yeah, totally. And learn about different like cultures, identities, etc. outside of maybe where you came from. Whether it be out of state or counties, just North Carolina varies in general with people's background. Can you give me a definition of inclusive excellence? That's a tough one. I think inclusive excellence has a lot of definitions. I think the one that the uh, CAE website uses regarding inclusive excellence is really great. I'm going to pull that up because we spent a lot of time working on that. Yeah, I bet as faculty coming together, just trying to come up with one like mission statement or just one way to showcase is very difficult. Read a little bit from our CAE website because our inclusive excellence team did a, a wonderful job putting together you know, a good comprehensive definition of inclusive excellence. And so we write that inclusive excellence is an academically rigorous process and outcome that promotes critical thinking about knowledge, seeks to understand and address historical and present day inequities and creates equitable classroom environments. And I think that's really the goal of inclusive excellence, right, is to create these equitable classroom environments. So every department has their own are y'all assigned like two or like one I know the one for English I think is Dr. Wapakanoa and Dr. Ivory yeah so with the uh, Center for Academic Excellence they primarily work with faculty and we have a couple of areas in the Center for Academic Excellence right now that support faculty in inclusive excellence work so we've got our inclusive excellence team which is comprised of you know a couple of faculty and then we have inclusive excellence liaisons in every department that support the department level and really take inclusive excellence concepts that we learn as a university community and apply them to their department and their curriculum. And then we also have this newer team called the Inclusive Teaching Lab, which is focused more on department level work. So we have several players uh, in, in many departments that are working in inclusive excellence. Yeah, that's really cool. Y'all are having like like a lab just because learning never stops, especially with inclusivity feel like that's becoming a big thing now like just both of us and we're in zoom having our pronoun with our names like i know that's mm -hmm. a big demand and not everybody's hopped on that yet but that's totally fine like it's all about learning and we're all learning together at the same time and i'm glad that as like professors that y'all are still continuing that like you said that's what helped the classroom environment even more just enriches that experience for student and faculty alike. What do you see for the future of diversity at Appalachian State? 
and that's kind of like a lot, but yeah. yeah. It's a loaded question. You know, I see the future of Appalachian State having a number of challenges and also having a number of opportunities. I think in the challenges space, trust is an issue around faculty, staff, and students, and it stems from multiple areas. And I think there's a real need to rebuild trust on our campus. And I also think funding, we are rising out of a pandemic, so funding issues are not unique to diversity and inclusion. There's a significant need for more resources, but simultaneously we're being asked to fulfill all of our needs with fewer resources. So really, I think funding is always going to be a challenge, particularly in the next couple of years as we're coming out of pandemic status. I think as far as opportunities go, I see a lot of opportunities and innovation around inclusive excellence, you know, opportunities to think creatively and critically about this work and to invite change and to invite some new people to the table to engage in these conversations. Yeah, well, I'm excited to see what y'all do. Yeah, monetary issues is definitely all across the board right now. It is. Yeah, it's a struggle. How did you get involved with the passing of the Foster Care Family Act in North Carolina? Yeah, so I had the opportunity to serve as a foster parent in the state of Nebraska. And so when I got the job here at Appalachian, my department chair, Dr. David Marlette, he was also a foster parent. And he started looking at some issues in the homeowner's policy and realized that in the basic sense that there was a coverage gap, basically prevented liability coverage in the event that a foster child was injured, you know, in your house, not from like gross negligence on a foster parent, but you know, accidents do happen, especially with kids and a biological parent wanted to sue. And so we thought this might be a real hurdle for potential foster parents, especially those with perhaps a little more to lose. And we wanted to find a solution to help, you know, build some more trust, you know, there's that word again, around the foster care system. So we were able to work with who was then Senator Berenger and now is Justice Berenger to get some language into this act that was taking place. And so this act actually does a lot beyond the insurance piece. It also addresses things like permission for extracurricular activities. So prior to that, if a child wanted to go, you know, to a party and spend the night, you know, at a kid's slumber party, it would have to get permission from their social worker or their caseworker. And oftentimes that time period would pass. And so they wouldn't have the opportunity to go and do things that, you know, quote unquote, normal kids would get to do just to be kids. And it also created some opportunities for automobile insurance. If you think about, I have a 16 year old now, so letting 16 year olds drive and possibly having, you know, foster children doing that. So when was this act passed? 2015. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So it was actually signed on my birthday, July 2nd, 2015. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a crazy. cool birthday present. Yeah. That's cool how that like synchronicity like happened for you. I mean, that's just great. How did your studies in anthropology and sociology like align with your values and in inclusive excellence? You know, life just happens sometimes, and sometimes life brings everything full circle for you. So I tell my students this story all the time that I went into college wanting to be a biology pre-med major. And, you know, spent a summer doing some science research, wasn't really my thing, came back and I had all these classes in sociology, anthropology, they were all my exploratory classes. And I was like, you know what, I think I'm just going to major in this. Went home and told my parents what I was majoring in and they told everyone I was dropping out of school. So I was like, well, let me go see what else I need to be adding to this. And so I went to the career center and did one of those career explorations and came across, you know, lawyer. And so I was like, okay, I guess we'll go to law school and see if that makes them happy. 
happy. Went to law school, had some opportunities then to work in insurance and then to work with the EEOC or the NEOC. And it just happens that I fell in love with diversity and inclusion work on the corporate side. And so when I had the opportunity to come work at App, it just was a natural fit. I don't know that I could say that I recall a ton of content from my sociology anthropology classes, but I think I've developed a real appreciation for that work. And I think it's helped me be a better listener to people who maybe aren't as familiar with that work and those who consider themselves experts in this area. Wow. Yeah. Law school. That is, that is crazy. I could never. So props to you. And it seems like you're doing a lot of great work. So yeah, thanks. I commend you and like finance and banking, like that's just math to me. And that is like, Uh, No. So I think that's great. With that, how does diversity and like, or just inclusive excellence correlate with College of Business? Like I wouldn't put two and two together. But I'm just curious, because I don't really know much about the College of Business or what type of curriculum is in it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities in our college to really interweave inclusive excellence into it. I mean, when we think about, I'll speak from my department perspective, you know, we think about finance banking, we think about financial literacy. What are some populations that really could use, you know, strong financial literacy? Well, research will tell us that a lot of your marginalized identities struggle with financial issues. And so there's real opportunities for us to get into areas where first generation college students are, are, where, you know, students who come from low-income environments or students who come from just historically marginalized backgrounds that maybe don't have a history of having, you know, really strong financial backgrounds. So some real opportunities there, even just in our department to help students out, let alone helping out the greater community. I guess I would give another example. I mean, if we think about all the events that happened last year, particularly after the death of George Floyd and many others, um, we saw corporations respond in a way that I don't think I've ever seen corporations respond with lots of messages of solidarity, but then also a mass transition to transparency of who's on their exec board, what they're doing around diversity and inclusion with their employees and also with their customer base. And so I think more and more, we're going to see how business plays a role in diversity and inclusion. I won't say solutions, but in opportunities. So are there any courses you would suggest or just like resources on campus that can help people out with just finances and insurance and just like your specialty and what you do for college of business because I don't know anything and I think other college students probably would say the same thing if they're not majoring in business. Yeah. So as far as insurance goes, we have a Brantley Risk and Insurance Center that's a nonprofit entity. It services students in our program and also has you know some public service as well. Some of my colleagues in the finance, banking, and insurance department do presentations to student groups on financial literacy. So we've done that across campus. So if you're part of a student organization that would like a financial literacy presentation, we're obviously happy to do that. We tell students about auto insurance home insurance, life insurance, and, you know, financial financial literacy practices to, you know, make, make good decisions when you're coming out of college. You know, as far as other resources that are available, I would say look to the Intercultural Student Affairs Office and just other areas across campus. I feel like we're doing a lot of Zoom-based professional development and personal development experiences. And I don't know how many students really know about all the things that we're doing as a campus. And so I think really just seeking out what's out there and activities are taking place on campus. 
Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of events happening, but maybe not everybody's aware just because screen time. I'm trying to minimize mine, like, a lot, but I do check Engage, and I know the Career Center is doing a whole lot, too, as well, but there's a part of me that understands it. There's a part of me that's like, there's so much going on. You may not see walk if you're on campus ever. You may not see it walking through the student union, but somebody's on Zoom doing something that people could benefit from. Right. Yeah. So I know the term like for the inclusive excellence was once diversity, diversity yeah, advisory. The- yeah. So what, what made y'all want to change the name? And yeah, just like a little bit behind that. Yeah, so in the College of Business, we started out with a diversity advisory team back in 2014, and it was just that, to advise our leadership on issues around diversity and inclusion. Around, I'm going to get the date wrong, but I would say probably around 2016, we started seeing colleges and universities use the term inclusive excellence. And of course, our university started using the term inclusive excellence, and there's not a fantastic story as to you know why we made the switch other than just to be really more in line and more in tune with the language changes going across universities. It also sounded better, and it sounded like we were trying to achieve something, right? It was more than just advising. It was trying to arrive at a point where we were being excellent and providing these, you know, culturally responsive solutions to things. Yeah, I agree. The term excellence does sound a lot just more like awareness up front and like you said, striving towards excellence. But my last question, what is your favorite thing about your role? It could be professor or inclusive excellence, just like whatever comes to mind. I think my favorite thing about the role is seeing changes happen and seeing the impact of those changes you know and it can be little things it can be big things but I think seeing students come in you know two three years ago and seeing where we were at two three years ago with diversity equity inclusion and now seeing some of the support structures that we have in play now for students who are incoming but also some of those students that have been around has been really meaningful and and has made this challenging work worth it for sure and this kind of just a follow-up do y'all ever as a board just meet with students at some point like students maybe who have tips or like how much is student feedback versus like I guess what y'all are working on within your own ideologies and research yeah so and I'm plugged in in different areas right now. So I would say from a faculty development perspective, we just had um, listening charrettes with the chief diversity officers advisory board. And so those were open to everyone on campus to attend. And these will be reoccurring events. So you will see another listening charrette session next year. And so that's an opportunity for feedback from students on how we're doing and some of these goals related to diversity and inclusion. At the college of business level, we actually hold a town hall. And I think we're still slated to hold a town hall later on this spring. So for all College of Business students, those who are interested in being College of Business students, you're all welcome to attend and to share your thoughts. Um, We give updates on where we are in areas of our plan, and then we provide an opportunity for students to provide comment. Um, And then in my work in the Brantley Center, we engage our students quite a bit just in conversation. You know, we have a ton of formal processes there, but we have a lot of one-on-one conversations with students. And uh, we, I think we try to create a culture in that division to where students feel like they can come to us when they have an idea or they have a concern. 
Okay, and yeah, that's all I have. But just for listeners who are students or faculty, I encourage y'all to attend. I know there's some at the end of the semester too, just like a time where you're able to maybe give grievances or just a conversation to have with your inclusive excellence board members and whatnot. And yeah, this is App 1800. I'm here with Dr. Jamie Parson, and thank you for listening. From 90.5 WASU, I'm Eris Sodermilk, Assistant News Director, and this is App 1800.